0: Welcome to the Odd Collective Radio Show, Gwyn Ashton. How you doing, mate? Good mate. How are you? I'm pretty good. A bit wet up here. I know it's dry down in Adelaide, at least. Yeah, it's bad. Well, it
1: looks like quite a nice day. I'll get into it later. Guitar overdubbing to do on some tracks that I've been recording.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you've actually used covid lockdown in australia really well for mine um so much new material coming out um you've been doing stuff with people from ice house etc 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 um you know written stuff with dave gleason screaming jets angels you've kept yourself busy
1: yeah, well, I kind of use it to my advantage. I, I got, I got stuck over here last year. My my flight back to England got cancelled. Uh, where I normally live, I've been over there for 25 years now, doing doing stuff around Europe. <clears throat> and I'm I'm usually on the road all the time, you know. So that there's not a lot of time to. I've been penning a few things, you know, in hotel rooms or whatever. But the, And I've always got my mobile studio together. So I kind of capture stuff, but because I'm primarily a solo artist these days, because just of the logistics and...
0: Cost effective too, isn't it? it,
1: it, Yeah, it is really. And and I've I've sort of got that thing together with the kick and snare um, foot percussion thing and the guitar and I kind of zap around the place and... I, I don't really have a lot of time to get get um, rock and roll band albums together. It's it's more sort of a one-man thing or or acoustic stuff. So um, because everybody's sort of stuck here in Adelaide and some great musicians down here, um, I, I, I can kind of use all, all these songs I've got together over the past couple of years plus some new ones I've been writing. Um, I've... I've Got access to a friend's music room in his house. I'm, I'm looking after the house at the moment while they're on holiday. So I get to sort of set everything up in there and mic up the drums. And I've got time that I can actually uh, get all this stuff together. So I've got, I wrote a song last night and I've got 27 new songs together. So I've got three albums worth of stuff.
0: Oh, so, so you can tour for the next three years in the UK and Europe without having to write another bloody song.
1: Well, you, you can usually get a couple of years out of one album because you, when, when you're recording, you don't want to you don't want to oversaturate and stuff because it's like oh he's got another album here we go again. No, if you do it every year, it's a little bit soon, um, especially with magazines. Media, yeah there's so, there's so there's so many there's so much new music out there, which is another subject because we don't need to listen to old music all the time. There's so much so many great guitar players out there, and great musicians, great songwriters. there's new music every day coming out, and the magazines are saturated with new stuff, and you don't get to hear about this on mainstream radio because they're just churning out the hits from yesteryear,
0: you know, it's a bit of a nostalgia fest. Uh, At least in the States. The place, really. At least in the States, they have radio stations that are dedicated to just playing heritage acts. They don't pretend they're playing anything new. Yeah,
1: it's like, yeah classic rock radio. But I mean, that it's great. It's like, I love old music. I'm, I'm, I'm a 60s guy. You know, I, I love kinks, yardbirds, yeah, small faces, blah, blah, blah. And I'm... I'm in my writing, I'm very influenced by that stuff, but I don't. I don't want to just keep hearing it. And really, classic rock radio is, is just it's stopping a lot of new music from coming through. It's, it's it's really nice, you know, but when when the emphasis is on just nostalgia, you're not you're not having a good new music industry, and the new artists need to be coming through there's a lot of young bands, a lot of older people like myself, you
0: know, we're writing pretty cool stuff and we want to get it heard and we'd love the radio to play it. Well, you know, mainstream radio is to... basically becoming irrelevant, I believe um, you know
1: yeah, with the advent of podcasts. Yeah,
0: well, you know, I spend more time listening to I hate to give anybody a plug but spend more time listening to people like Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp uh they do a podcast called The Rock on Tours and uh I I've, I've learnt stuff out of listening to those guys and you know Gary Kemp's got a new album out and it's really good but you don't see mainstream radio touching it they just want to play Spandau fucking Ballet yeah and that, that's a that's a real problem even when the older acts uh
1: say so, say so the Angels come out with a new single uh, you get you the mainstream radio, especially here in Adelaide. It's, it's like we're in a time bubble here. Uh, so, oh, the angels got you song out, uh, and here's that, I'm going to see you both again. Which, in reality, is
0: status quo, Lonely Night. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, that's another story again.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, the uh, um, rehearsal room where John Brewster's attempting to teach Alan Lancaster how to play Am I Ever Gonna See Your Face Again, he's gone, I wrote that bloody thing.
1: Yeah, the party boys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. They'd rather look back than look forward, I believe, and that's why a lot of really, really good rock and roll is just slipping through the cracks... because of the refusal to allow even the older classic heritage acts. And the only one who's really slipped through the cracks and got anywhere near mainstream airplay is fucking um, Russell Morris. Yeah, well, Colchis will get a good... good, uh, they're,
1: They're probably the only band that if they have a new single out of the radio, actually play
2: it. And they yeah. have
1: some very good publicists. I mean, I love Chisel. Chisel, one of my favorite all-time bands. Uh, but I like hearing the new stuff.
2: And, yeah,
1: and, yeah. And it's relevant to, to, to that. And I think, uh, like, like Pups, uh, I think the, the radio station, the mainstream radio stations, all the program managers the young guys straight out of some sort of business college. And, they're looking at ratings and they don't want they don't want you to touch that dial. They want you to stay on there and they know if they if they're just churning out the divinals or you know, all the greatest hits of everybody. You're gonna stay on that radio station, you're not gonna turn it over to something else to listen to because it's a familiarity thing, it's subliminal, uh, they they must, must have focus groups and whatnot. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie called Before the Music Dies. I bought the DVD when I was in Austin, Texas about 20 years ago. And they're interviewing all these... Um, couple of guys, uh, basically, in a nutshell, a couple of guys, music fans, they're not musicians, they so go around America and they're interviewing musicians and fans and, and whatnot. And it's, it's, it's an amazing uh, movie... Because it it just shows you the music industry and how people really think and how, and how corrupt it is. Because you, you a company wasn't allowed to own more than fifteen. I, I don't quote me on the numbers, but something like fifteen radio stations. And then uh, the law changed, and Clear Channel bought up every radio station in America. So you. you
0: And every bloody stadium via default as well, through other arms, you know. um, Clear Channel is Live Nation from memory, so, you know, their their tentacles are in everything. And and so suddenly,
1: without any warning, you you had one program manager for 50,000 radio stations. Instead of your area, you know, you've you've got different areas in America, like Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago... They've they've all got their kind of local scene and they've got their local sound. And suddenly, they weren't allowed to play this stuff anymore—the local music, you know, from Detroit or from whatever. And you got one one program manager servicing all of it, and nobody knows about this stuff. And they have focus groups, and that you you'd be taken into a room, just a general member of the population, not a musician or anybody, set of headphones. And you go, what what is instant to me? What 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 am I doing straight away? And they tick the box of whatever sound that comes on. And if it takes a little longer to appreciate a piece of music, it, it doesn't get played. And it's like it's like the difference between digital um, CDs and records when. You can skip through tracks now, and you
0: have, and you have been for a long time. Well, you you had to skip, whereas tracks. you had to pick up a bloody stylus and move it to a different track and hope you got it yeah. in the gap. So
1: you didn't really bother. And some, sometimes those tracks that don't immediately hit you become your favourite
2: songs. Oh, yeah. And and, and and if you've
1: got the record on and you hear this one and you go, "Ah, oh, i not too keen on this one, but you keep listening to it. And sometimes... Your brain will click one day and go, I really do like that song now. In fact I like that better than the rest of them. So now you've been given the opportunity to like something that you you didn't like before because you didn't quite get it. Your brain wasn't wired the right way that day or, or whatever, or your brain or that day your brain is right the wired the right way. And suddenly that song now becomes very relevant to you and it's important to you. And as a music fan, music's important, um, yeah, especially if it's your favourite artist or whatever. So if you listen listening to a Beatles record, da 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 da, and I love it, comes up. Or, oh, that's a bad example, really. Uh, <laughs> so you're listening to Revolver, Revolver, and Revolution. I'm only sleeping.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, no, that was that was never on an album. So say I'm only sleeping. So it's like one of those songs that doesn't get played on the radio. And so you that comes up and you go, I don't really like that. I don't like the backwards guitar thing or whatever and then suddenly you listen to, you listen, you listen to the whole album having an album listening to people, Yeah, well they, they, they take do, on a
0: new doesn't, context. Doesn't seem
1: to uh, and that's why <laughs> and there was I'm a track only order. I I'm, I'm only sleeping cuttings up and suddenly you're going, Oh, I love this song now. Yeah. This is this is great. So, you know, well, when, when they were putting
0: albums together back then, they actually thought about the track order
1: as well. Oh, when I, I'm the same way. I, I get the sequencing and I even time the gaps between the songs. So if it's a slow song coming up next, I'll put a like a seven second gap. Yeah. before the song, so it gives your ears a chance just to slow down a little bit after that last song and then this comes on. And I'll spend two days sequencing trip an album. And I'll, I'll spend half a day just getting the gaps right between songs because I I make my albums It's a personal thing. I, I want people to listen to them, put their headphones on or lock yourself in a room, turn the phone off, turn the TV off, any distraction. I want you to listen to my album. And, <laughs> and that, that's, that's how I make them. And you know, we don't talk about this because we just go, oh, he have got a new album, that is, British. blah, blah, blah. And like, when you're just constantly putting out singles all the time, you're not getting the experience of a sequenced record of, of somebody who's put thought into putting a whole, a whole package together with the artwork or whatever. The artwork's a little different now. It's all digital and CDs and what, what not. Uh, it's not as big as it used to be. But when I bought a, a record in the old days, you
0: know, and it had, you know, open, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, open up the, the sleeve. Pull the sla- yeah. pull the sleeve out and you had the lyrics, who produced it, who wrote everything, exactly. how long the track went for, um, all the shit that you, I think- you see today. Instantly, you know, you had to sort of, The album was an experience.
1: Yeah, and, and all the sleeve notes.
0: Yeah. Um, and you you <coughs> could sit yeah, there and yeah. listen and oh, listen. read about it at the same time.
1: But with the Beatles, you know, you get the story on the back of the record, even though it wasn't a gatefold sleeve. It was just a plain sleeve. Tony Barrow would write the notes on the back of the album a little bit of a story of the record or whatever or John Ale's Blues Breaker's album in fact, the fact there the be no album um, whoever I can't remember who wrote it. but I memorised paragraphs out of it because I read it so much while I was listening to the record yeah. the experience of, of listening to a, an album is kind of gone now it's really sad because people haven't got time anymore time yeah, like, no, you've got to set yourself 40 minutes. I'll make sure my records aren't in even than 40 minutes either. Because, you know, the, 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 the attention span of that. the
0: human being.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, 40 minutes is enough. And the Beatles only used to play on stage for 20 minutes. For instance, I know, I know you're not a Beatles fan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the bands used to play for 20 minutes. You know,
0: yeah, and that's why <laughs> songs were so <laughs> short.
1: Yeah, and I didn't realise, because so, I'm a huge Beatles fan, the first three albums, four albums of the Beatles, the songs are only two minutes long. Yeah. And some of them are like 154 or something. You don't realise that. We're used to hearing three and a half minute songs.
0: <laughs> and here's so, me putting out six minute versions of things. Mm,
1: well, yeah. But that, the art of it was to get everything you wanted to say less than two minutes. Yeah. And. So, you know, the lyrics may have been a
0: little bit... Banal? so sophisticated. Yeah, as banal they at times. But they do. Well, yeah, kind of, but they were right for the times. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, like, like I say, you know, I, I didn't get it, but that's cause at the same time everybody was running around with Beatles this, Beatles that, I was listening to horn-based stuff with my nana. Yeah.
1: That's
0: yeah, all great. Yeah, and, you know, it's been later in life that I've actually gained some sort of appreciation for The Beatles. I really got George Harrison post The Beatles and Lennon post The Beatles. I haven't been able to get into McCartney ever for whatever reason. And I really dig Ringo's solo stuff and they're the results of The Beatles. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I get it now. Whereas I didn't when I was younger. People,
1: a lot of people put Ringo down, but if you listen, if you if you watch on YouTube, there's, like, when I was a kid, I used to collect all these bootlegs for the Beatles, right? So I've, I I dug around the other day because I'm back here in Adelaide and all the stuff's been in storage for a quarter of a century. And I dug out all these regular, they weren't fortunate yet. But uh, now it's all on YouTube and you, the stuff that you painstakingly went through record racks at these underground record stores back in the 70s, and that's what I used to do. (laughs) you have to go out in the secret room out the back because all the stuff was smuggled in. And that was exciting. They were exciting days. It's all on YouTube now. You just go, oh, Beatles, Washington. And and if you dial up that concert, Ringo's playing his ass off.
2: Oh, I've seen He's
1: he's smashing those i He was great. And people put shit on him, but he was great. I made
0: a point of going to see his all-star band when I lived in Boston. And oh, oh wow. man. Anybody who said he can't drum needs to f- needs to uh, actually go and see a bad drummer.
1: Yeah. I
0: plenty of them I <laughs> Yeah, Way too many. And they all particularly end up in one of you and I's favorite pet hates. And I I can't use that word because I cannot use that word because none of them are actually anything remotely like the word they use to describe them.
1: Yeah, well, that's quite a political point. I've, 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 because of my my opinions and posts on social media platforms... uh, I've been sort of criminalised for actually having an opinion and it's really sad because I, I, I'm i pretty good with language and I kind of don't just slag off those types of bands. What I'm, say, what I'm saying is these musicians are too good to be doing that. Why aren't they doing blah, blah, blah? Because I like to encourage new music. I run jam nights yeah. in England, well, I used to and, and open nights or whatever and I've always encouraged people, you don't have to play all that stuff, play your own, let's let's hear what you sound like being you. Mm -hmm. You know, Judy Garland in the 1930s said, you're better off, it's better to be a first-rate version of you than a second-rate version of somebody else and and, uh, I'm an instigator for original music and people creating. Because the more you do it, the better you get at it. And the better it is for an industry. Any industry revolves around innovation. You, you have to be moving forward all the time. So just, just to be in a band that just churns out the old look you know, lookalike sort of thing.
0: Virus. They're a virus. Yeah, That's it, what they are. It's exactly like Corona.
1: Well, yeah, I I I kind of see the similarity there And but no no, I've had threats of aggression towards and all sorts of
2: stuff.
0: Yeah. Oh, you you're, not allow- that, yeah. you're not a you're actually uh-huh. not Robinson Crusoe, Gwyn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I one guy one guy in the northern suburbs of Adelaide I've i got the post. I've i I copied it because it's he was in a drunken stupor or something because it couldn't, it's a long paragraph with barely any punctuation. And basically, I think what he was saying was he was going to come and he was going to come to one of my gigs beat me in the car park and beat me up <laughs> 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 because I had this opinion because he's a singer in a local whatever band. That, a, know, a pretender,
0: I, a pretender band. Yeah, and yeah.
1: I, I really don't want to get into running anybody down, and uh,
0: it's like, just a, like, it's, a, it's a not running them, them down per se. My biggest bugbear with it, Gwyn, is that if you're going to go out and use somebody else's work, holeless bowlers, and go to yeah. the point of even dressing up as that that particular act you're aping, you should be at the very least kicking back the meagre six to nine cents on the dollar you earn to the people that you are using their works to make money off of and, you know, it's akin to I take your car and I drive Uber for eight hours I take your car home which you've given me with a full tank with an eighth of a tank and I don't give you any of the money I've earned Well, yeah, I, I guess
1: if, if they fill in the APRA
0: forms, which they should do, which they probably don't...
1: They don't. Uh, they, get, they get the
0: money from... Uh, the, uh, the pool, English but... Yeah, uh, and I, it's because they don't, and most of them aren't, you know, most of them uh, don't even realise APRA exists. No, they're
1: not registered, so they're not putting in their life performance
0: returns, so... Uh, and if that's so the case, APRA I, I, is as much to blame here for not enforcing their own... I know their own, you know, rules and regulations. It's like um, I personally because we're a band that does a percentage of covers in our repertoire um, every single time I gig I fill out my live performance return because I want people like Tom Robinson, Curtis Mayfield, etc. etc. to actually make their end of what they should get because I used their work to make some money.
1: Yeah, well everybody's looking for the easy way out, you know, it's it's like, like we were talking before about program managers, you know, being these young guys straight out of some business course or whatever, so they're focus groups, you know, what's instant, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's the same with, with people that put bands on, they're straight out of, Business college, you know, I, I yeah. I went to one one pub here one night a couple of years ago. There's a duo playing. It's about six people in there, and uh, the guy the guy comes out. I said, "Morning," you know. I was trying to get a gig there. He said, "Oh, a pretty good night here, isn't it?" I said, "Mate," I said, "20 years ago when I played here with my band, we we played there with a local Adelaide band called Mickey Finn, and they were guys from fraternity, you know, and Jim Barnes used to see him with him when he came to town or whatever. And so, and that was on Scott's band before he joined ACDC. The fraternity, they got a bit of a kick now, which I, I love. one of my favourite bands. In fact, I've got the guitar players, Mick Stewart, I've got his strat under my bed in England that uh, he played on a lot of that stuff. Anyway, he come. I said, I said we played to 600 people. I said, that was a good night. And there were six people in the room, and it's this young, sort of bearded guy, you know, 20 something. Straight out of business college learning how to run a pub, you know. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice night, you know. And they had all these TV screens on the wall. I said, we never had any of that stuff. This was at the pub. It was a rock and roll pub. Yeah, well, there's to not too here. many
0: of them left. I
1: know. I know. But these guys never saw the, those days because it's like two generations ago.
0: Yeah, so, it is. It is, sadly. But.
1: So now you now you got people in charge of booking music, but... Because guys like Ed Sheeran have come and they are the boring, the boring, bland yeah. uh, spokesperson for a boring, bland generation of, of, of people who like Mumford and Sons or whatever, and they get into this terrible sort of folky, boring, bland kind of acoustic stuff. Uh, they, they think that that's what everybody wants to hear, so you've got this new generation of, of people. Now, there, there's some great new music out there, but they want you to be background music, they want you to just, to play, just sit in the corner and play, and you I know he's going to listen to you, but you know, you get your money in the night or the next week or whatever, and the agent decides to pay it. And it's like, you poor bastards. You know, I, I, there, there's this thing here in Adelaide that the council puts on, solo artists around town and they so the venues aren't paying for the band the government's paying, the council's paying and these guys are playing out on the streets a bit cold, in front of the pub and all the people are down the back of the pub talking and so there's these guys, I saw one guy out in front with a jumper on, a scarf and a jacket and he was playing really nice stuff, he was great I I can't remember his name but nobody was listening yeah, cause they were all, I, don't know, I don't know, they're interrupting, he's interrupting their conversation. Music's just become this commodity, music, it's like an elevator or supermarket, just this crap that they want to hear without getting in anybody's attention span. And, that, and that's what entertainment seems to have gone. It's really sad because there's so many good artists. I I
0: actually, like any other time when it's gone into a lull for whatever reason, a lot of really good new material comes from it and it really has been cyclical. Um, We'll have another rise of the industry. We'll we'll get
1: the rebels. We'll get the rebels. Sooner or later, a, a generation will come along and go, like Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent did in, yeah. in 1955 or whatever. So I go, no, nah, we're going to crank it up a bit and we're going to make
0: people listen and that. But they don't want that now. And it's, it's like... Well, they, they didn't like want the it back blues, then the either, Gwyn. They, they didn't want it back then, but they were forced into it, basically, by people like Eddie Cochran.
1: Well, the kids wanted it because they were rebelling against their parents. The kids don't rebel anymore, the kids want to be accountants. And they they want to be property developers and they want to watch TV about doing up a house. You know, I was watching the bloody Flintstones (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know.
0: Well, Uh, I was watching the Samurai and Phantom Agents.
1: They're watching... Uh, well, whatever they want. I don't know what they're watching. Um, they, they, they watch they're obs- turning into the parents of the 50s kids who were the rebels. And so eventually there'll be some rebellion and there'll be some more rock and roll. in there. But, but saying that, there's some great rock and roll bands out there right now that, that just doesn't get mainstream radio. And it's really sad. There are so many festivals. I mean, I'm not a metal guy whatsoever in any way, shape or form. I, I, I find it hard... Uh, with most rock music modern rock music you know really not in the nickelback or, or metal or anything but there the, the are bands out there right now that that, that they're so underground that I, I guess they come up on Spotify players, but I don't think do that really sad. I've got my, some of my stuff on Spotify but I don't I don't subscribe to streaming platforms because as you know you you have to have a song played 3,000 times, streamed 3,000 times on Spotify to equate to one CD sale. So how in the world is that songwriter supposed to make a living?
0: They are. <laughs> um, just, just on the covers that I've got up online at the moment, it's like... Um, what was it? 2,796 listens... Or streams or purchases, six dollars twenty nine. Exactly. Uh, and if that translated so, to single sales, uh, you know, well in Australia it's a dollar sixty nine. So isn't you know, I'm making nothing yeah. out of it and still paying a license fee.
1: Well, the CEO of Spotify is driving Porsches and he's having a great old time, and he's never played a, a note of music in his life. So,
0: well, one of the good things just, we have going at the moment, yeah, honestly, is the fact that Fender and Gibson and other guitar makers over the last two years have actually had their best-selling years in forever. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's because of people like Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, up a guitar, every 15-year-old girl wants to play guitar now. Yeah,
0: and you put and a guitar great. in... in oh, I, I look at people like... Um, Nita Strauss and Orianthe yeah. the from yeah. Adelaide that you know they they can really play a bloody guitar, and anything that gets girls interested, boys interested, even if it's them what uh, the initial impetus for them picking up a guitar is getting all tonguey and fucking you know googly eyed at Nita Strauss or Orianthe as a sex object, if they pick up a guitar because they saw that girl play and come out with something. Original themselves, I think that's a great move.
1: Yeah, definitely, absolutely. If, uh, get, get, getting back to the, um, the Spotify thing, uh, I, I've sort of been very reluctant to to do much there. But I was watching a YouTube video the other day about uh, this, this guy was talking about having your hardcore fan who's going to buy every CD that you ever put out. Um, you know, luckily I do have some of those, but then you've got your passive fan who just sort of listens to playlists or whatever. So you can work the two together. You can kind of, if your song just pops up on a playlist on Spotify, you'll get, you'll get a passive fan base of people who go, Oh, I like that guy. You know, yeah. maybe I'll listen to a bit more. And so you're picking up new fans that way. Plus, plus servicing your hardcore fans. So I do see the significance and the relevance of, of both platforms of streaming and, and selling CDs. But, I, you know, I, I think it's terrible that I think iTunes are deciding to stop selling MP3s. Uh, it's, they, they just want to concentrate on Apple Music now and it's like, well, no, please keep selling MP3s because... I can't afford to exist on Apple Music without selling some MP3s and selling some CDs. So, yeah, you know, that, that's I'm, why a
0: lot of platforms have moved over to. Um, I know I, I go through DistroKid, and I keep seeing new streaming services pop up all over the place. And it's like the the latest one I spotted was NetEase. Um yeah but there's more I more of them popping up and every day of the week there's another platform that's streaming music in some way shape or form
1: Well there, there is a good side to all of this as well as a bad side you know concentrated really mainly on talking about you know how we're not getting paid but in the old days back in the 70s if you didn't have a record deal you just you you, you you can't afford to go out and do whatever. But now we can all be our own record labels. We all have the same platform to get our music onto. Yeah. So in 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 that way, there's a positive on this. It's just like okay, well if if um, if uh, such and such a band, one of your favourite bands, but whoever, modern band, but whatever, if they if they have a single out and they're on this this playlist or or on YouTube or whatever you can go on YouTube as well you just have to be discovered somehow so and that's that's the old hire a publicist thing you know which are very very expensive I mean I've got this week I'm very fortunate and I'm very grateful that I've got I recorded a song called Lonely on the Run and it got onto Classic Rock magazine in the UK. It's track of the week. I'm number three. Um, there, there's a huge band in England called Scan. and then there's Joe Bonamassa in all his glory at number two, and then myself. And it's just like I made this record on my like on my laptop, my MacBook Pro, and. My friend that I'm staying at his house at the moment, he shot the video on my iPhone, and he's not a—he's never shot a video in his life. And a friend of mine edited the video, and I got number three position out of uh, three above John Mellencamp and Bruce Springsteen's new single. They didn't even get in the top three, and. I don't have a publicist, and they've all got publicists. They've got, they've all got record deals, and they they're all, they've got money, Up the turned into there. their yeah, promotions, they've got the money to and they've, it. and they got, they got publicists costing the equivalent of three thousand Australian dollars a month to service their album or new single, because I know this because I live over there. It's fifteen hundred pounds a month for a mm-hmm. publicist of of any stature, right. And uh, they paid all this money. And I, I, I beat them. I, I got number three. So, and that's through developing a healthy fan base on the road as so I drive across Europe all the time and, and I was driving across it fairly extensively across Australia until I got, you know, till, till the world got shut down. Um, and thankfully to the people that support me, um, my... My, my single got to number three and that's a big deal yeah, you know, for me for my course. personal career and uh, and I, I recorded that here in Adelaide with uh, John Freeman the drummer from fraternity and we did it as a duo and then uh, but, well, I recorded it a couple of years ago, and then when I was in, when I, I went back to England, and I went round to Mark Stanley's house and he put the organ track on. And Mark played, played with Robert Plant, played with Grand Slam with Phil Limit from Thin Lizzy. Um, he's a great keyboard player, played a Bangkok Magnum. We, we supported him 10 years ago across Europe, playing out packed houses all over, across, across Germany and Sweden. England everywhere that's a great great tour and then I th- I, I I thought well I'll send a track to Neil Murray and Neil Neil's an acquaintance of mine you know I won't say people are great friends or anything because I don't know his family but he's a lovely guy I, lo- I love Neil and we've had great talks and, and Neil used to play with white snake um, and black Sabbath and uh, Gary Moore, Brian Mayband, everybody. And he very graciously flew me over a bass guitar track to put on the song. And I, and I had the song here um, during COVID and I went to a local recording studio in Glenelg. And Ian Messenger was a, a fellow who mixed it for me and then I flew the track back over to England In the meantime, I did the the vocal track in a hotel, you know, in a bathroom um, in the Czech Republic. So, (laughs) a bit of a transcontinental sort of mission, I think. So, uh, recorded in Adelaide, overdubbed in England, uh, vocal track in Czech Republic, and then back to Adelaide, sent it it back to England to my mastering engineer, David Nixon, to master it. He worked at Sony Records in Los Angeles for 30 years. He mastered all the Robert Johnson box set and uh, heaps of stuff. In 30 years, he, he was in the mastering suite uh, for Sony. And then I just sent it off to Classic Rock magazine. After shooting video up the road near the park, the guy just stood on a tree stump and videoed me playing my guitar. And we got we got the number three on the Classic Rock. Uh,
0: that, that's, you know, that's because you've been out there and done the road yards and just kept flogging it and flogging it and flogging it and gained a reputation for doing being yourself. what you are. It's a DIY
1: thing. So but this point just illustrates how anybody, because I'm not the greatest guitar player or songwriter or in the world by any means, but If I get out there and do it, and I can put together a DIY project and it, it, on one chart, in a major UK rock magazine, it can get above John Mellencamp, Bruce Springsteen and Ghost. Oh, and it up,
2: hit number you're three. Up there.
0: You're up, so, up you there you with know, the big boys, I'm, or as they say.
1: I'm blown away how a do-it-yourself thing, totally do-it-yourself thing. And can actually do that. So there's hope for all of us who are songwriters and artists who are just sitting at home with a laptop. I mean, they, they don't have access to the great musicians that I know. But I mean, I, I taught myself how to record, you know, just YouTube tutorials. And so we do have a good industry now Yeah, to be able to create a creative industry. The, the creative side of it. A lot of stuff has got cheaper now. We can afford to, to have Logic Pro on our MacBooks. My MacBook is 10 years old. You know, you're not supposed to get more than seven years out of a laptop, and mine's 10 years old. I just put a new solid state drive in it. I'm, I'm recording new stuff with my new bands. I've got here, I've got 4Wheel from Icehouse house and the Choir Boys on drums. And we're, we're doing a do-it-yourself project. We've, I've got three albums worth of material, which we... When we first started this conversation, we were talking about that, where we, COVID has slowed me down so I can actually put time into the recording, the creative process of it. I'm not on the road, trying to bash out things in hotel rooms and hopefully, you know, I might be able to overdub some I, I, I can actually get together with the boys in the band, I've got a bass player from the Screaming Believers, Chris Landon, great bass player. Paul Wheeler on drums and we're sitting in there and we're making live music in a, in a small room a 12, 12 foot square size room micing the drums up That's pretty loud isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we're making a great noise and I'm, I'm playing back some of the stuff and I'm thinking this sounds really good you know so um, just be prepared for new music it's going to
2: yeah, on, your, I, your
0: I think albums. there's actually going to be a flood of new music from a lot of people. Some of it will be really, really good and some of it will be the usual tripe and it'll be a, a, a sifting process as it usually is and the cream will rise no, just, and, you know, lonely it, on the run. It
1: just depends. just depends how developed you are as a writer and how much time you put into it. And the songs get better. I sat down and wrote a song last night and I'm really happy with it. I'm going to record it tomorrow in the boys. I'm very croaky at the moment because I've just been working so hard. I can't do both the tracks to save my mind at the moment. Couldn't get the rest
0: down. People like Nick Mason um, (laughs) said it all, you know. um, It's 10,000 hours till you're proficient at something. You yep. put 10,000 hours in. Well, when they recorded Arnold Lane, they'd had 50 hours of experience. So you, you look at Pink Floyd through the through the time, it's like, yeah, you can tell that 10,000 hours, and you're well past your 10,000 hours now, my friend. I
1: did 10,000
0: hours yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in one day. Yeah, or so to
1: speak. No, yeah. I, mean, I mean, COVID is... Okay, COVID is a terrible thing, right? People are dying. and it's yeah. shocking, right? But the situation that COVID has supplied us is slow down. You can't do anything else. Create, write, Record. Yeah. Now, a couple you know, of. Post local, the Spanish flu,
0: we had the Roaring Twenties.
1: Yeah. Well, good things come out of hardship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and the real the real artists will create during this time and the other people give up and do their day jobs and that's great. Dutch Tilders, I used to play with the great Dutch Tilders, and he said a recession is great for music because all the part-timers give up and the people who really deserve to be in it stick around and they create and, and it's so true. And, you know, there, there are a couple of guys here, that, you know, those sort of bands that we talked about that we don't really want to name, but there are a couple of sort of impersonator guys here in town. And they they had this great advantage of going on at the National News to come up with what they called... Um, uh, oh, what's the word for it? A great, a great idea on... Um, what we can do and and, and oh, i'm trying to think of the word they used um anyway they went on seven national news and said low is me people can't dance we should go we want to go overseas and it's like what what are you going to do overseas you can't do your impersonation acts over there because the original bands still exists but and they go on 7 National News, they play a cover live, a John, a John Lennon song, mm-hmm. and that, this this is supposed to be an awakening of, it's like, hang on a minute, that's the most negative thing I've ever heard. You've now got the opportunity, without any of life getting in the way, to come up with a new music and release it. Mm-hmm. And... And
0: that's what I'm doing, you know. Maybe Channel Seven National News should interview me instead because I've got. Well, they they shouldn't be interviewing anybody that plays in a virus band.
1: I Uh,
0: know. It's that that in itself is surreal, you know. Mm. I'd rather see uh, another interview with Jimmy Barnes than see, uh, you know. uh, Yeah, that's that's actually appalling. that Channel Seven who. Um, you know, proclaim to support the music of Australia would actually do that.
1: I don't. It's, it's just like, it's, it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and I... And that, oh, no. Nah. Uh, <laughs> that, that's just wrong it, on it. so many levels, Gwyn.
1: I know, and these these two guys, the two guys, because of my outspokenness about these type of bands, they blocked me on Facebook and they spread all these rumors around. That. They were trying to get all my gigs cancelled. I've got a PDF of all their conversation they think I couldn't see. <laughs> and they involved a lot of it. They, they they, they actually um, they, got, they got a lot of people against me here in town. I'm, I'm the biggest arsehole on the planet in Adelaide. Because, well, the biggest
0: because... arsehole on the planet that they still know who the hell you are. So by them...
1: Hell yeah. You
0: know, yeah. Act- by them actually doing what they've done, they've drawn... The, they've... Reversed the action they wanted to achieve is they've got people actually looking at you now and people who may not have heard of you have now listened to you.
1: Yeah. I I remember the word that they used, because one of them came on Facebook and said, we're going on Channel 7 National News tomorrow night, 6 o'clock. We we have a solution to the crisis, to to the... uh to the, to the live music crisis in south australia and they've got they've got day jobs now come on guys you're weekend warriors you're not you're not professional musicians you've got day jobs one of one of you is an impersonator for some big american rock band and the other one's a drummer from from a big english blues rock band um impersonator of these people and they, they, they're coming up with a solution for us and they're the spokesman for every musician in, in Australia. And they go on you and, and say... Well,
0: especially in our well, mind, we, if you wanted we, to speak we, to people we, who are uh, of that deal, go and speak to the, the Hindley Street Country Club. Uh, you know, if them. you want a valid opinion on from that sort of person... At least go to them. they got 34 million views on freaking YouTube. Cover
1: bands.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, if if you want to go to that angle, but no, I'd be going to people like yourself, the guys from the Super Jesus. Um, You know, even go back to some of the elder, you know, almost heritage acts now, like... um, Psychotic Turnbuckles, um, the Iron Sheiks, all those sort of people have more of well, a clue know, that, of how to get an industry rolling again than some... Oh, jeez. That's appalling that the state and news, uh, and the news would even jump on them. I know. I know. Uh,
1: yeah, that it's, uh, it was... It was kind of unbelievable. I sort of laughed, you know, and I just thought, joke. Hey, that's a solution to go. Get vaccinated and don't. Please, go, Leave. go yeah. to another country. Just, no, that's not helping. Go and, play in, that's go and help.
0: play in Vietnam and Thailand and Singapore, the places that will pay you, but you're at more risk of COVID anyway, there. So go. Be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't really support yeah. it. they're not really indicative of an Australian music music industry anyway. Hardly, well, hardly you know, indicative. We've, you know, I, I'm stuck in the '80s somewhat, and probably will be for life, just simply because um, I, I believe the heyday we had was through the '80s into early '90s, and that too will come again as we adapt on the run. There will be another heyday for live music in Australia. Um,
1: I'm kind of. Uh, I, I, I like when the 60s turn into the 70s and the creative, progressive scene go about with all your lobby loids and thoughts and, and bodies sort of yes. turning master's prances and, and whatever. And I, I love all that stuff. Uh, I wasn't particularly an 80s sort of fan. I, I appreciate the industry for, for what we were doing here in the 80s.
0: Yeah, um, or, you, know, you know, there was no other country in the world where you could work seven nights a week. Sometimes nine nights no, a week exactly. if you planned it right. Yep. Uh, there was yeah, no other no. country.
1: We were lucky. We were very lucky to grow up in that period. Of
2: yeah.
1: uh, it was quite a, a fluid situation for a working musician to be able to make a butt.
0: Uh, well, you know, the world changes, and you know, musicians have always adapted
1: yeah oh yeah for sure we, we get through hardship we don't give up no we just we just uh, we don't compromise in our output or our art because the, the worst thing you do is compromise but what what you can do is you can go with the flow a little bit and go okay well this is how I, I see an angle here so I can get what I do keep your integrity always maintain your integrity and and be yourself and be honest to yourself you know and playing an impersonation sort of thing. I mean, that's a bit of fun, you know.
0: But it's kind of Las Vegas, isn't it? It's well, what everybody wants to see. it's not even Vegas. And... It's not even Vegas. If you're mm. going to say you're doing, a, let's say, ACDC show and you've got eight LED park hands and nothing on the back wall, that is not yeah. an ACDC show. Yeah, well... Uh, you know, especially when you can go and watch ACDC Live at River Plate.
1: Well, it's been the advent of uh, YouTube and whatnot, uh, I've, I've seen that there are some local uh, or tribute bands or whatever you want to call them. They're not really tribute because you, when you pay a tribute to somebody, you, you kind of do a one-off and you do their songs in your style. And you usually know, the person's like, dead yeah yeah so you're doing a tribute no, but you don't make a career out of it that, no. that's when you become an impersonation act and and you know calling it a tribute is, is i guess more justification of stealing somebody's work really by saying oh, i'm paying homage you know And it's just like, well, you're not really going out as impersonator. You don't have an Elvis tribute, you have an Elvis impersonator. Because a guy gets dressed up and does all the moves and he looks a bit like Elvis and he sounds a bit like him. You know? Yeah. So, that's okay. You know, there's got to be... So okay the RSL
0: clubs at midday. I
1: was just about to say that. That's an RSL club sort of thing, 60-40 band, show band, whatever you want to call it. they were never really part of the music industry the music industry was always about recording artists and blah 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 you know people who actually dedicated their lives to it and not to being themselves and had something to say with the music you know so I, I did I've done a lot of blues festivals and an old black guy once said to me don't ever sing about somewhere you've never been or about people you never met you know and it's it's like, that's right, because you're not being honest, you're not being true. And so music is viewed by most people as pure entertainment. So it's like television. Tribute bands are like actors. They're um, <laughs> yeah, great musicians. actors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, however good or bad it is, you're always going to be
0: it's, it's actually bad when you pay one hundred and thirty-five dollars to see Roger Waters do the wall, and a band that says they are a Pink Floyd experience comes to Australia from New Zealand and charges the exact same ticket price as yeah. Roger Waters. That's
1: that's criminal. A, a little bit strange.
0: That's criminal. But that said, is, um, really. I do know of one here that I've actually made money out of, Beyond the Dark Side. They... Pink Floyd is dead. Pink Floyd will never gig again. So I allowed for one of them to exist in Australia and when the guy had spent that much money on actually building up a show that he could put into the Sydney Opera House, uh, you know, I, I sort of thought, well, you know, you... Investing a whole lot in this to pretend to be somebody else. But at least he paid the piper. Every gig he did that he put on, self-promoted and doing all... Like, he did a run of major civic centres up the East Coast. And he was paying the licence. So I didn't complain about him paying me a shitload of money to rig a whole lot of lights and operate because I knew he was doing the right thing.
1: But, but, I mean, for, OK, that, that's fun as, as far as any yeah, other value uh, that, goes. That's
0: just an experience that you can only have because um, Pink Floyd no longer exists. Uh, I can allow for one of them in the whole country, but there's one comes in from New Zealand, there's one in Adelaide that says they're the premier, there's three of them in Victoria... Another nine have popped up inside New South Wales and another two of those have come about during COVID. So it's like... Uh, it's something like 26 people pretending to be David Gilmore, Nick Mason, Richard Wright and Roger Waters.
1: Well, the thing with that is, OK, but yeah, agents, the Bob, w, yeah, agents people are buying it and pushing them. it
0: because they know they'll make money off it. Yeah, well...
1: That, that's the trouble with money. For, for entertainment, that's nice because people want to go and see their favorite songs, right? And they yeah. don't mind a bit of a dress up. You know, it's, it's wigs and costumes still. It's dress yeah, up. Yeah, it is. It's, it's like, but for a music industry, it would be far more. As, 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 you, you, as, as far as the music industry's future is concerned, and getting Australia. On the world stage, why don't you take those influences? So you're a Pink Floyd cover band, right? You, t- you take, okay, I love to do this, right? So you take those influences and you write your own songs, right? Yeah, and yeah. You, you you end up sounding a bit like Pink Floyd and you got your own stuff and then you got your own trip and you got your own songs and you don't want to be too much like Pink Floyd. You want to take a few, few other influences as well. And develop your own sound. But if the foundation of your stuff is because you love Pink Floyd, like I love Rory Gallagher, Johnny Winter, the blues guitar stuff. Yeah. Right. So I try, I, I'm influenced by that, and I try to do my own thing with it, and I'm sure the roots of it are going to come through in, in my sound. But I'm being myself. Yeah. And I'm recording those songs. So why don't you do the same? If you love if you're being Floyd, you just sound a bit like that. And then you put a band together. And then suddenly you've got 20 songs that sound a little bit Floydish. But you call, you call yourself, you know, um, whatever whatever name you want to come up with. You, you call know.
0: yourself something, but don't call yourself a tribute yeah. to anything.
1: No, no, he's got he the Grampians or something. You know?
0: yeah. oh, have you heard of this new band, the Grampians? They're
1: a little bit Floydish, a bit psychedelic, but I, I, I really like them. Yeah, when I, when
0: I and, hear uh, people I say that my stuff sounds like my sex meets Graham Parker and the rumour, you know what I say? Win! Oh, I win! Yeah. You've seen my influences written right on my sleeve, but it still so- doesn't sound like Graham Parker. It sounds like. Graham Parker meets my sex.
1: Yeah, guitar Prince which was mine the used to repair my guitars
0: in London. Uh, he worked <laughs> at Chandler. I, I want to kiss your <laughs> feet. You've met the God.
1: <laughs> no, he, he worked at Chandler Guitars in Richmond, London. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's helped me out a few times. He's a nice guy.
0: I'm a big Nick Lowe fan, so anything to do with Brinsley is just, ooh, ooh, I hear that name and my ear, I get excited.
1: Well, it's funny, uh, I don't don't know if you... you know Terry Williams, the drummer, who used to play with uh, Rock pile with Dave Edmonds?
0: Oh, I know of him, yes, Uh, yes.
1: Anyway, Terry... I've got got some really cool stories about Terry. Terry uh, was running uh, a blues club in Swansea, he, he played with, um, Guy Straits as well, and it's on, all those videos, um, oh, I can't remember, you know, he played it, um, what's that big thing, that 40 years ago, um, Woodstock, Live Aid, yeah, Live Aid, Live Aid, with, um, with Guy Straits, anyway, T- Terry was, uh, running a blues club, called the Toy Data blues club, him and his wife, Louise, and, uh, we, we were regulars down there, my band, the Asian. Defensive gig, you know. And I go, yeah, I'd love to. So we did this, this, um, Christmas show, the Christmas party. And he said, oh, I've got you, I've got you a little support band. You know, um, meet the guys, you know. So I met the guys and I, I went, oh, nice to meet you. Anyway, the, uh, one of the guys was dragging this old, uh, Fox speaker cabinet up. Onto the stage, and uh, I, I, I looked at the back of the box and it had Budgie stenciled on it. I had a huge Budgie fan when I was a kid. I grew up listening to Budgie, and uh, I said, Oh, Budgie. I remember then my, my grandfather told me, about, <laughs> told me about them, right? Because they're quite an old band, and uh, the guy laughed, you know, and put his box on stage and uh, as he walked past again I said where you steal that box from and he said oh it's mine and I said what did you say your name was and he said Burke and I said are you Burke Shelley and he said yeah and I said you've got to be kidding I said we should be supporting you and he, and he laughed and he said oh no 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 we, I've just got this little blues band and you know nice to meet you Gwen you know because I'm Welsh
2: yeah
1: and uh and I okay, and, and they played and Burke was wonderful, you know, great nice playing. And after after my show, he, he came up to me and he he'd hang around at the end of the night and he gave me Budgie Live in San Antonio C D. Oh, and he said mad. And he said, Uh, look, we we might be needing a new guitarist soon and we'd like to keep a Welsh guitar player in there and I love you playing good you fancy learning some of these songs and maybe you can come out to our show and check the band out and i said yeah and he said okay well, well um would like to get you in the band and so i said oh that's wonderful so i went down there the king's head in uh, south london and uh I'm in, and i thought oh this is great anyway it ended up that, um, the poor guy's pretty sick now so I've been trying to call him actually he's not answering his phone but uh, I nearly joined Dutching. how's that? that's crazy because of Terry Williams uh, Blues Club and Terry's a lovely guy um, he's on Facebook You make a friend <laughs> 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 and he, he was a great drummer you know he played on Dave Repeat
0: when necessary at yeah. Girls Talk and all those songs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, you know, Brinsley oh, Schwartz, Dave Edmonds, uh, anything from the Stiff Records time is where you know, um, I listened to all of that. I got right into all of it. And Graham Parker and The Rumour, after Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds, were probably my biggest rock influences. I think more Grant okay. Parker because he added the horns and started delving into soul. Yep, which you um, know you weren't seeing at the time—white men doing soul-ish music.
1: No, that that was quite a big thing back then. It, it started, I guess, then the commitments—you know, the ultimate tribute band before all tribute bands.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah,
1: and everybody, everybody's got his commitment songs.
0: And, uh, no, no, it's not a
2: commitment
0: song. Right <laughs> <Yeah>. No. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like people trying to yeah, tell no, me no. that um, Curtis That's Mayfield's well Move On Up was a jam song. All oh, right, right, OK. And, yeah, no, to pick that, to think that song in particular, um, I didn't ever like the jam version of that. I found it just so rushed. And it took any of the soul out of it. It's part of the reason we decided to cover it. (laughs) Because uh, the rest of the boys have said, you got more soul in your little fucking finger than that bastard's got in his old body, Andy. Have a crack at this. (laughs) But what they didn't know was that I'd been running around the house singing, um, you know, Move On Up when it first came out. Right. Being, being one of those horn laden type songs. And well that's where I come from and I still appreciate where you come from with the Rory Gallagher, man. It's like, yeah, you wear that on your sleeve, but you don't sound like Rory Gallagher. Well, you I sound try like not doing, you know, that that's
1: that's important, you know, as I was saying before, you have to have your own voice in the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, even though you have the influences and whatnot. But, you know, I played with Rory's band for five years. We we recorded an album, sang it in London. Yeah, uh, that was with Jerry McAvoy, Brendan O'Neill. Um, they were Jerry was Rory's bass player for twenty years. You know, I played on all his records. So you,
0: you've had and a pretty, ch- you know, that that must have been a surreal occurrence. You know, um, and for that to go on for five
1: pressure. years was high pressure. I mean, we, we, we rehearsed for days in the studio, eight-hour days. And, you know, they really tightened my playing up because I was pretty... I mean, I'm, I'm a bit sloppy anyway. I'm, I'm, my discipline is pretty bad. <laughs>
2: yeah, um, but,
1: you have... but, you know, it was... They really pulled me together. And uh, I, I had to replace Brian Robertson and um, and Robbie McIntosh. Yeah. Uh, they, they, but I had two Band of Friends, um, which is Jerry's project. And he's still going to do, you know, with Davey Knowles on guitar. He's fantastic. Um, and they're, they're still playing around, around Europe. Uh, and Jerry, Jerry said to me, oh, do you fancy you know, doing Band of the Friends? And, and then he wrote about me in his book, you know, saying I was the closest thing to Rory. And... He said that about
0: a few people, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was really nice. It was really nice, you know. And, but it was high pressure,
1: especially to start with. You know, it's like you've got to. Oh, it would
2: have been, you know. Um, got to really. I mean, they
1: kicked my ass, uh, They kicked my ass, mate. Uh, in the, uh, in
0: uh, it's, it's, your experience must have been somewhat akin, but not on such a larger scale as Arnel Pineda stepping into Journey. I'd say so. uh, and you know, being there for ten years, uh, the parallel—it's like you know—you're stepping into the shoes of someone you've idolized through your journey musically. It's like, yeah the, yeah, the pressure that you'd be putting on yourself alone to attempt to live up to that standard. You know, well, I
1: was, Thank I was fuck you, you a very thrive on pressure.
0: Hey. Okay. Thank fuck you thrive on pressure then.
1: Well, yeah, I can, I can handle the pressure. I mean, I've I, I survived through... Um, I was in Moscow, I overstayed my visa by a few hours, and i had get to the gig the next night. I was detained at Moscow airport by government officials for eight hours, I, they had to get me an interpreter. I, so I, I survived that, the, the, the terrorist attacks in Paris, um, I was driving through France, I was playing that night 10 years after um, and I, I was going through borders of Italy and uh, sorry Spain and uh, Belgium and I had armed security, border security with ak 47s pointed at me um, going, you know checking out my van, I was driving by myself. I've, I've Driving through the Balkans, I didn't have the required paperwork for transportation of goods um, between countries, and I got stuck in a neutral zone. I wasn't allowed to go back into either country. It was a 100 metre neutral zone. I was very lucky that I had my Serbian agent with me, and that was the only tour he came with me on um, to make some phone calls. and you know, I'd just lay out in the sun. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. Oh, you take care of this. You don't want to be here
0: as much as I don't. Well, uh, the Moscow experience so, must have, you know, um, I spent eight weeks in <laughs> Moscow in '98 uh, on the oh, yeah. first uh, American ice show to go into the ex Soviet bloc. And, you know, I saw some things that were the result of the police not being paid and basically figure skaters being a by police for 27 rubles and shit, and almost international incidents. So, yeah, um, the difficulty you were in by not having your paperwork in correct order in Moscow, of all places.
1: No, 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 shit. no. no, no organs. Yeah. yeah, no, the paperwork.
0: No, yeah, well, I guess it was paperwork because
1: my visa. They took me off the flight. You know, the flight was going in two hours. I said, I'm leaving the country. You haven't got a visa. Okay, okay. Well, um, they, we have to take your stuff off the flight and cancel your flight. I'm like, oh, shit. okay. So I said, okay. So they t- took all my stuff off. I had one hour's sleep. I had to play in Belgium that night. The next night, one hour's sleep. And I had to do on my own. I didn't have anybody with me. Um, and so I was there I was at the airport with this guy who was interpreting. And uh, I said, OK, you, you take my stuff off. Can I get a visa? They said, you have to apply for a visa. And I said, OK, can I apply for a visa? After they cancelled my flight, they said, oh, to get a visa, you must have a flight booked. And I said, well, you just cancelled my flight. They said, yes, but, but now you must book a flight and we must make sure we can get the visa for you in time. So I went, oh, good grief. So, it took me about five hours to mm-hmm. book a flight that I could afford because last minute flights to anywhere, from anywhere, are really expensive. It cost me 500 euros. And I found one via Helsinki. And I went, okay, so, I finally booked the flight. This is, this is. I was sweating at the airport. I, I was scared shitless because mm. I was in trouble with the Moscow Fucking customs police. You know, so I was, and overstaying a visa is a punishable offence. Oh, yeah. I've got a fine. Any, anyway, uh, so so I booked the flight. Finally, I, I had to do it on my phone in the airport. I had to use a Wi Fi, which was slow and laggy and buggery. Anyway, so eventually I booked the flight, and they said, right now, you must get around to, to get a visa. And I said, where's that? And said, around the corner. So, I walked 20 metres, applied for a visa, got it on the spot within five minutes, and went back to customs. I said, "Why didn't you do that?" I still had two hours before my flight. Why didn't Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you let me do that when I already had a flight booked? Why did you pull all my stuff off? I said oh, I, it's, "It's red tape."
0: It's the rules. It's the rules. And if you don't follow follow the rules there, you can
1: land in a pile of shit. So not only did I get a fine, which my agent actually paid for over there. Um, See, I I booked the visa myself. But I made the mistake. I just got back from Australia. I went to the Russian embassy and booked the visa. I got the paper to return. I was jet-lagged. Yeah. So my, my mind wasn't thinking properly. So while I was in London, I thought, "I'll just go and book the visa now." Idiot, idiot! I've only got myself to blame. But I mean, they could have, yeah. they could have gone, "Ah, oh, mate, no, you know, no problem." Divide <laughs> like two hours, take ten minutes to get a visa, just go and get one.
0: Well, that's what they've done <laughs> done in South America. But you were yeah. in, you were in Moscow, so yeah. You know, The one thing I do realise about touring the world is when you're in foreign countries, whether you like their rules or not and they make sense or not, you've still got to live by them.
1: Yep, live by the law and you'll always do, all right. And they pay pretty
0: well in Moscow too, from memory, for entertainment.
1: Can't remember. Well, that wasn't great. It's was part of the British blue. Because I'm Welsh, I, I, have, I have a bit of a uh, crisis. I don't know if I'm Welsh or Australian I anymore. Mean, well, it depends on where I am. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, at the time, uh, you know. I get, you know, I get to
0: England and they call me Scottish.
1: Right, oh, okay.
0: Um, and <laughs> I'm only second, yeah, I'm, a, I'm second generation Aussie with Shetland heritage. Uh, it only takes me ten minutes with another oh. Scot to end up speaking like a Scotsman because I grew up with it in the household. Oh. oh, that's handy, isn't it? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> the beautiful part of that is when I'm doing stand-up comedy, if they're not liking it, I just revert to Scottish accent they find anything's funny. Yeah. It generally works. Oh, well, Gwyn, we've just hit the hour and 14, (laughs) and it's probably time to wrap up because it's one hell of a long Odd Collective podcast, this one. Thank you very much for being with us, mate. And we'll get this up on Australian Radio Indy and WHER out in North Carolina.
1: Fantastic. Thanks for
0: that. No drama, mate. Thank you very much for being with us on the Odd Collective radio